You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook, Lauren Williams, and Margaret Jennings. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. All right, Taylor, it's just you and I going solo here. Um, But I think, you know, we've been talking about having this, this conversation for a long time. And I think for both of us, it's hitting it at a great point in our lives because we're both super stressed out with different stuff going on but we're probably handling it way better mm-hmm. than we have previously right because you know we've been through it and we found better ways to handle it um but also may is mental health awareness month and i do also want to put out a little bit of a disclaimer that we are going to be talking about mental health issues um very sensitive topics for some people that might be triggering yes yeah very sensitive topic so you know if if you are not in a place where you feel like you can hear this right now save it for later go and do some of your own work before um tapping into this um but we're not going to get you know too dark for for anybody listening um no, just, no, but we want to emphasize the importance of like mental health in general, especially mm-hmm. now that like for a lot of people, the season's over. So this is a time for people to decompress from the season and really start to get the R&R that they've desperately needed for the past X amount of months. Yes. Um, and that's why it's, you know, it can be really difficult at this time of year because you still have all of like all of that pressure from the season that's still sitting in your body and your body's still holding on to it. And you really do need to take some time to, like I just said, like decompress and let go of that. And uh, some people have a really hard time with doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Processing that information is hard. And a lot of athletes, I mean, I know I especially was not um, taught how to process a season until I started doing this work. I just thought like you finished and you're good and you're done. And then before you know it, you know, tryouts or the next season were two months away and then you're kicking it into overdrive again without any preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the advice that I give to my athletes is always to do a postseason reflection. Like what went well, where could you improve? Um, you know, where did you really struggle? Because that informs the work that you can do in the off season but it also informs where you need to pay the most attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. If you struggled a lot with mental health during the season, for example, especially for our athletes that this might've been their first season back after a pandemic, um, doing that work and processing that information is really important so that you can move forward, not necessarily with a clean slate, but move forward with an understanding of where that stress is coming from, how you can better handle it, or cope with it, um, and address the areas that maybe you need to develop some more tools in. Mm -hmm. And also like paying attention to some of the patterns that come up too, right? Like there's certain times and seasons that you just are a little bit more stressed, or maybe your mental health is a little bit down. Like, I mean, it can be as 
something as specific as like you're living in a certain part of the world where you don't see the sun for X amount of hours in the day. And mm-hmm. that really does affect how, how you show up every single day, because the, the role of sunlight in our life plays a major role on our mental health and how we're, we're uh, coping and behaving. And like it, yeah, a lot of people do have that seasonal uh, afflictive disorder. Is that what it's called? SAD? Yeah. Seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So like a lot of people do have to cope with that and that's, that can be really tough depending on where you live. Right. So, um, paying attention to, you know, what, what seasons for you are a little bit more challenging and difficult so you can better prepare as you approach them and you're not getting caught in, in the middle of it and getting super overwhelmed and feeling in over your head. And then, you know, things start to spiral, spiral out of control. Mm -hmm. the one thing I want to touch on just going off of what you were talking about about these patterns and and what trigger people into more negative states of mind I think it's important to say that everybody's mental health struggles weigh the same in their mind right so just because you may be looking at somebody else and saying oh my gosh they have it so much worse that does not mean that like your problems or what you're struggling with don't weigh just as much as that other person's. So get away from the comparison game because we all have different thresholds of what we're capable of handling. And it does not matter if you look at somebody else and say, maybe my problems are smaller. It does not matter because they weigh the same in your mind and they are impacting you. Your perception of how big or small they are is completely informed by other people. And when it comes to your mental health, that should not be coming into the equation when you ask yourself, should I be seeking some support right now? I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that that's kind of a trap that a lot of people fall into, but especially athletes, right? Because we're taught to always like look on the brighter side of things or realize like, yeah, but okay. Like, yeah, I'm going through this, but like somebody else has it way worse than I do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that that's not like an okay thought sometimes, like you don't want to get caught in like the victim kind of mindset where you're like pitting yourself all the time. Um, but you also don't want to be looking at all the other things that other people have going on that are worse than yours and then start to neglect your own needs in the process of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's something that I used to do a lot when I was, when I was in university, especially like I would, you know, see all these other things that other people had going on. And I was like, oh my God, like they have it way worse than me. So how can I sit here and complain or feel bad for myself when I know that, you know, one of my stallmates just down or across from me is going through something that's really, really difficult for her. And like, what, what is it that I can do? to help her out and, and stuff like that, which, yeah, maybe a noble thing to do at the time, but when you're constantly neglecting your own needs, it's, it's just like, kind of like, a oh, what is it called? Um, like compounding insurance, right? Yeah. Like you're just constantly going to be adding on top of it because you're not addressing it. And then you get to a point where it's just overflowing and you, uh, you hit it, you hit the breaking point and you can't go anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 
that brings me to something that I really want to touch on um, and help people maybe identify with or, or better understand just because something in your life is going really, really great does not mean that you can't simultaneously be struggling a lot with something else. Um, there's a quote that I really like that kind of pertains to this. It's from Brene Brown. Um, but she talks about um, the fact that fear and courage are not mutually exclusive, right? So it's not that in order to be courageous, you can't be afraid or vice versa. It's that, you know, you are courageous, even if you are afraid, you can be both. So you can be okay in some areas and not okay in others. And it's still perfectly fine to say, I need to focus more on this right now because this needs my attention and not to put it on the back burner because, you know, well, what if I deal with this and then I start slipping over here? Um, and I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of athletes end up engaging in. Mm -hmm. Well, and like, can you really have courage without having fear? Right. It's like, kind of like the yin and yang, like you, yeah. are you really able to show that you're being brave or courageous if you don't fear what it is that you're tackling in the first place? Yeah. Right. Um, so I like that. I think I've actually, I think maybe Rob mentioned that one not too long ago. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I like that one too. And uh, I think, I mean, I think we can't really go the rest of this episode without kind of uh, touching on the elephant in the room. And that is, of course, the uh, unfortunate amount of student athletes who have taken their lives in the past uh, about what, month and a half or something like that. Mm -hmm. um always a, a very upsetting and, and tragic thing to hear about especially because we you know we've made so much progress in this conversation around mental health and making sure that we're um able to to talk to somebody about what's going on to be there for our teammates um and working on having these systems set up within yeah. uh, different organizations whether that be at the university setting or uh, other organizations outside of that um but I think, I think it really goes to show how much further we still have yet to go. I know we've, we've come, you know, leaps and bounds from where we were like maybe 10 years ago. I know we talk about mental health so much more and there are a lot of resources. Um, but I feel like we can still do so much better. Um, and, and one of the things that I've heard a few times, and this is coming from like wives and girlfriends of players at the professional level is that they feel that their partners don't have the mental support that they need to be going through a full season of their sport. Um, mm -hmm. and I mean, of course, like they have their partners to talk to course they have their teammates but sometimes you do need an outlet that's outside of those those two networks right I mean yeah. sometimes it's just about having someone who's not a part of any of your situations I don't know the people you're talking about but just to be able to talk to somebody and have somebody listen rather than like looking for um 
kind of like the the two-way conversation that you'll likely get when you're talking to teammates or talking to a significant other. Mm -hmm. Well, and let's also address the, uh, the other big elephant in the room, right? Which is for student athletes or professional athletes, even there is a widely regarded, um, how do I want to put this, uh, idea that they have it great, right? They have all these privileges. They have all of these resources. They, they play a game for a living. They make millions of dollars, whatever the excuse is. I think that a lot of people in, you know, the general population look at it and say, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to cope with it. There's no reason for this to be happening because, you know, they, they don't have real problems. And it makes me so upset to hear that. And I know that you would be on the same wavelength as me because just simply by saying that maybe they have one area of their life figured out, their finances, you know, where they're sleeping that night, um, their school situation, just because they have that figured out doesn't mean that every other area of their life is fine and peachy and grand. And what people fail to realize, I think, is that, yes, it's a game that they're playing, but there are huge things on the line. Right? Some of these people, all they know how to do is play their sport. They didn't go to school. They didn't finish school. So what happens when they're done playing? What happens if that one day they step out on the ice or on the field and they have a career-ending injury that prevents them from being able to do the one thing they've known how to do all their life? Mm. What happens when they go into a conversation with their coach and they get told that they are not good enough at the one thing that they've been told that they're good at their entire life? What happens if the star player or um, someone who's used to living in a, a certain headspace has to deal with the idea that they're on the way out and that maybe they've hit the climax of their, their career and now they're dealing with the idea of what do I do now? Mm -hmm. It is not okay to dismiss how people feel just because, you know, to your perception, they have one thing figured out. Mm -hmm. It's not okay to tell people that their feelings are not real. Because again, your perception of them says that they should have it all figured out. Now, the kind of has me thinking like, of the three, how many of them are transitioning out of their sport? Do we know? Because you make a really valid point. I mean, to somebody who like they've grown up playing a sport their entire life and to all of a sudden not have that anymore, it's extremely overwhelming. And I don't think anybody who's not an athlete can truly understand what that's like, but that's basically like saying, okay, you've, uh, you've been in the same type of routine for 20 years, for, for instance, mm -hmm. and you know, five, six days a week, you're doing this. You have a lot of structure to your week, to your days. But now all of a sudden, you're not going to have that anymore. You're not going to be able to do what you love. That's a, I think that's a big point to make here is like, how, how do you cope with losing something that you are so passionate about? Mm. And then step into a completely different world where you 
don't know what it is you probably want. You probably aren't feeling as fulfilled as you would like to because you're not sure what you're passionate about outside of that realm. Mm -hmm. And then also, um, like, it's, it's, it's tough to let go of it. Yeah. It's so tough to let go of it. And even just for myself, thinking about stepping out of that after my surgery and, and stuff. And obviously I was at a tryout this weekend and it was great to be back on, but still it's something that I have to think about in terms of, okay, like you're not going to have this forever. Mm-hmm. And I think that we maybe should be providing more mental support for athletes that are transitioning out of sport because it does get to be such an overwhelming experience and it can unfortunately trigger some of the events that you know have happened recently mm-hmm. the other piece of it is oh and by the way that uh that support system that you have your friends well guess what you've neglected mm-hmm. developing friends outside of your sport because you've spent your entire life playing the sport and prioritizing it over social events so now that that support group you're losing a lot of it maybe Um, the mental health resources that you had at school, if you're graduating, you don't have access to that anymore. So you have to figure out where else to get it. The Mm -hmm. structure that you're talking about being told where you have to be and when, and what you need to do in a day, you don't have any of that anymore. And you've probably never learned how to fill your day with stuff that is not your sport because it has always been your primary focus. So let's just add on to add on to all of that, right? These- I mean, heck, I'm like three, almost four years out of university now. And there's still times where I have trouble like filling my days. Like if I don't have a lot going on with work, I'm like, okay, well, I will go to the gym because I have that extra time. <laughs> but yeah. outside of that, like sometimes I just don't know. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have the, the tools and resources to cope with this kind of stuff now, but I mean, had it been, you know, a different, different journey for me when I graduated say, I didn't end up moving to Europe. I didn't end up continuing to play. I can tell you for certain, I would have been so lost with what it is that I was actually going to end up doing with my life. Mm -hmm. Another one of those like small habits that I still engage in. And when I do it, I notice that I feel 10 times worse throughout the week is if I don't have work to get to early in the morning. I always play like or battle this decision making with myself or this little war that I have about getting out of bed and going to go do something that's good for my body versus laying in bed for another hour. Mm. Right. And, and as an athlete, that decision was made for me because I had classes I needed to get to. And if I wasn't going to classes, I was going to do some kind of workout or rehab And now when I choose to do the opposite, when I don't get up, I end up feeling like a lazy POS for the rest of the day. I get down on myself. I think, why was I so lazy? Why did I choose to prioritize, you know, or not prioritize myself? Why did I choose this? Mm -hmm. What am I doing with my life? This is ridiculous. Now I'm spending the rest of my day sitting in front of a laptop and I don't have the opportunity to go work out. 
which makes you feel even worse about yourself as a former athlete because you're like, <laughs> oh, I'm getting lazy and all of these, I'm not going to be an athlete anymore and all of these thoughts, which are very real. Compound, yeah. like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I mean, maybe we should talk about those emotions. Like, mm -hmm. It's one thing for us to sit here and talk about them when we are sitting in a pretty decent mindset and we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Completely different ballgame when you're in the thick of it because it's just that negative voice that's in your head that's working against you all the time. And that's the only one that you hear. That's the only one that you listen to. And that is what can get really difficult to cope with because when that's the only thing you're hearing and that's the only way you're talking to yourself, or that's the only voice you're allowing to talk to yourself. Yeah. It, you make yourself feel even worse. And then you start to feel those emotions even more. Mm -hmm. And that's when things really can, can get dark and possibly take turns for the worse. Right. Well, cause that voice is always isolating. It always mm -hmm. isolates you from other people, makes you feel like you're all on your own. And when you say it to yourself enough, you devalue everything else about you, all the things that you're doing well, all of the things that you're doing, you know, even spectacular at. And very suddenly, the story you're telling yourself becomes true. And mm -hmm. it becomes your experience. And you mm -hmm. believe what that voice is telling you. You believe that you're all alone. You believe that you're not good at anything. You believe that you're a horrible person. And and I can I can share a story from my own experience and it happened at two different points in my sporting career. And the first was when I was in high school in 11th grade, I moved away from home and went to a boarding school within about a couple of weeks of being there. I was like, this place is not for me. I didn't identify with the people that I was going to school with. I was also in a place where I was, regarded for the athlete that I was more than the human being. I was repeatedly kind of told that, you know, the hockey side of me was the most important. Nobody really cared about school. I could get by in, you know, advanced level classes without studying. Um, I spent more of my time on the ice and in the gym than I did in the classroom, which being good at school was always important to me because you know female athletes we don't get to make a living off of our sport yet necessarily mm -hmm. um and you know not getting along with people because I didn't identify with them started to take a toll on me and I felt like I was alone then I got really homesick and then I started thinking to myself well I'm weak I'm homesick like come on this is ridiculous and then one thing after another, and um, my mom ended up getting diagnosed with breast cancer, things started piling up. And before I knew it, I was having mental breakdowns by myself in a corner of the ice sheet that we were practicing on at night. Because I couldn't deal with the pressure of feeling like I wasn't fitting in, feeling like I was all alone, like I didn't have friends. And now that I was struggling to perform at the thing that took me away from home the thing that was preventing me from spending time with a mom who was ill was now at a stage where i was saying this is not worth it 
now I'm wasting my parents' money. They're spending a lot of money for me to be here, and I'm playing horribly. Total waste of my time, but I can't quit. Because if I quit, then I'm a quitter, and I'm not a good person. And then you add all of that onto, you know, if you're familiar at all with the way that women's hockey works, your grade 11 and your grade 12 year are really freaking important for your future. So add all of that onto, you know, talking to college coaches and trying to convince them that I was, you know, in a good spot mentally, that I was ready to go to college, that I even wanted to go to college. Hey, yeah, you need to give me a, a full scholarship because I'm wasting my parents' money so much right now that they're not going to be able to afford to put me through college. So, yeah, here, here I am in my, you know, not playing well, trying to convince people that, you know, I'm worth it and I'm worthy and I'm valuable. And then, you know, all of this culminating with one of the most stressful experiences of my life, which was trying out for a national team and getting judged so harshly on any small mistake that I made throughout the day. Getting judged mm. solely by my ability. And then being told that I was not good enough by the smallest margin I could have. So you have so, all of that. <laughs> so how, I mean, obviously at that point in time, it was super overwhelming for you. Like that's a lot to be dealing with. Um, mm. But how did you cope with that? in the moment. I mean, originally I didn't. Like when I say I was honestly having mental breakdowns in the middle of practice in a corner by myself, I mean it. Like I was bawling my eyes out, letting people go in front of me for drills because I could not see the ice and the puck because I was crying so hard. And at one point I remember taking myself off the ice and I just went and sat in the locker room by myself. Didn't tell my coaches I was leaving didn't tell anybody what I was doing and I just sat there thinking how now how am I supposed to go back out on the ice because I've just embarrassed myself so much right and then trying to play this game of hey I'm really hurting but I can't tell anyone because if I do then they're not going to play me and if they're not going to play me then I'm not going to get a college scholarship and all this stuff and it, it all kind of culminated with you know I was sitting in my bedroom at my billet's house just like so overwhelmed crying on the floor of my closet because I didn't want anybody in the billet house to hear me crying and just I remember texting my mom and and she didn't answer and then I was like you know what I need to talk to somebody right now because if I don't something really bad's gonna happen so I called them didn't pick up called again didn't pick up, called my grandma. She's like, hey, you need to get them to pick the phone up right now. Had a conversation with my parents. And I said, I have no idea what's going on in my head. I feel like a stranger to myself. I need to talk to somebody about this. And I remember my parents asking me like, do you wanna quit? Like, do you wanna come home? It's not a big deal. And I said, no, I don't think I wanna quit, but I need to find a better way to do this. Right? And, and maybe that was still motivated by like, I need to find a way to pay for college <laughs> and, and not wanting to walk away from a sport because I didn't want to be a quitter. But I ultimately ended up getting, you know, put in touch with Susan, who, you know, changed my life and put me on a career path to 
enough talk to people about this stuff. But it was through acknowledging that like that voice in my head was just the small part of me that was winning out in the conversation because that's what I was choosing to fuel. That's what I was choosing to pay attention to. Learning how to develop some mental skills to not just pay attention to the bad stuff that was going on, but find the good in it. How to also stand up for myself and tell people like, hey, you're crossing over a boundary for me right now and this is not okay. I left the billet house that I was living in because it wasn't healthy for me. I started fresh at a new school. And those were things that I never would have been able to do because, you know, my previous thinking was that I was the problem. I was the bad person. And learning to say, like, no, just because something's not working out for you doesn't mean that you are the problem was a huge pivot in that respect. Well, no, absolutely it would be. And and that kind of goes back to what I said before about like when you're in the thick of that, like you really do only have that voice in your head. And like when that's mm. like the, the fuel to the fire, it's obviously yeah. gonna burn fucking hot. Like yeah. there's there's no way. So I mean, obviously great that you were able to get in touch with Susan um and start to develop some different tools and strategies that were gonna help you to not only cope with what was going on, but to change the way that you were personally relating to what was going on as well. That way you could kind of shift your mindset and focus on the things that were going to help you thrive rather than what was going to keep you stuck. So, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say like, the other thing is to say is like, that work was not easy. It was hard to get into some of those like patterns that I was thinking that I had never acknowledged but I can a thousand percent say that it was 10 times easier than being stuck in that personal hell that I had designed for myself so getting in there and doing the mental work is not easy it's uncomfortable at times but it is 10 times easier than continuing in that mindset that I was in previously yeah absolutely and so I mean to maybe add a little bit more light to this this conversation what is like one of the tools that really worked for you that you could share with some of the listeners to help them cope with some of the things that either are going on now or something that they can use in the future when things are getting a little bit thick Mm. initially it was like figuring out who I was as a human being and figuring out like what I loved about myself it sounds super corny, um, cheesy, but it actually sounds pretty difficult to me if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. Cause I, uh, I remember asking myself those questions outside of being an athlete, like, who am I coming up with nothing, right? Literally nothing. I had yeah. text Susan. I was like, so there's this really simple question and I really <laughs> cannot answer it. Answer it. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I remember the first time she asked me that question and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm a hard worker. Um, I like always give it my all. I really like, I help others. I never quit. And she stopped me and she goes, okay, so all of those things that are what you do on the ice or in a locker room, like what are the things about you? What are the things within your personality that you love? And I had to say the same thing. I was like, I have no fucking idea. 
I literally have no idea out of who I am outside of Lauren Williams, the hockey player, the daughter of Robin and Gary, and the sister of Max. Like, that's who I was. Oh, and maybe a good student most times. <laughs> like, that's Which who I was. also comes back to that high performance kind of, like, personality trait in general, so. Yeah, I'm a hard worker and I don't quit. <laughs> Both very great traits to have. I'm not going to say that they're not, but when you're pulling strictly from your hockey repertoire, like, you yeah. you need to to go a little bit further and a little bit deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if you can ask yourself that question and, and get into like, especially for athletes, if you couldn't play your sport, what would you be doing? Like, Oof. where do you find joy and stuff? Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh my God, that's such a hard question. But it's worth noting though. Like these are the kind of questions that I think athletes should be spending a little bit more time on because like, I mean, especially female athletes, I'll say, because we don't really have the extended career path that a lot of men do. Right. So but either way, it's important to ask yourself these questions because once you do start to hit the point where either you're retiring or it's time to transition out of your sport, you need to be prepared. And part of that preparation is knowing who you are as a person, not as an yeah. athlete, not as a student, not as like a daughter, but who you are as a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the other and the other piece of this kind of puzzle is, is like, it happens when we're transitioning out of sport, but it also happens when we make a jump to the next level. Mm, true, true. Right, where your your whole idea of who you are as a player and what you do gets questioned just on the basis of like you're playing with the best of the best at an entirely different level, right? So the best of the best are better. And there's a growing period there where you either look at it as, yes, I'm growing. I know I'm not supposed to be at the top right away. Or you see it as I'm at the bottom. It's my fault. I'm not good enough. And I'm never going to make it to the top. Which is where I went in college. That was my second mental area <laughs> of work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the same for me too, right? Like I had those perfectionist type strategies when I was in university like I wanted to be the best on all playing fields not just in my sport I wanted to be the best as as best academically as I could be I wanted to be showing up in my community giving back making sure that I was somehow making a difference there and of course like wanting to to give my all in my relationships and stuff like that like and wanted to take a little bit of the financial onus off of my family in terms of like paying for schooling and stuff. I mean, I had like three quarter ride, but still like had to pay living expenses and all this stuff as well. And so Mm -hmm. like, I was so driven to be at my best in every single one of those areas that I didn't even leave time to be myself, to have downtime, to figure out who I am, as Taylor not as like a student not as an athlete not as like somebody working in the community like and I think that's kind of it's kind of where a lot of athletes go wrong I think and it's so easy to start to identify yourself as an athlete and I still identify myself as an athlete but now I can better understand who I am as a person as well but we're so deeply ingrained in that lifestyle that that's how do you not let that become your identity? 
Right. And it's because we don't teach kids from a young age, like you're a human being first. Okay. Like these are like the qualities or characteristics that you could have as a, as a person. Okay. Like what is it that you love to do outside of like playing sport or whatever, right? Like developing those types of kind of neural networks for kids. So they're not so deeply involved in their sport. They're like always just identifying their worth by how they perform Mm -hmm. and where did that take you because I mean we're talking about a lot of positive things right you're talking about like getting out in the community which by the way I don't know if this was your experience but in college yeah you're doing this great community stuff but wear your jersey wear something that shows that you're a hockey player because that to me that's like oh that makes me important that's why I'm here is because I'm a hockey Mm. player but yeah where, did, yeah. where did that take you? Well, I mean, for the community work, like, I mean, I've, I'm a genuine person when it comes to like wanting to give back and help other people. Um, and like, I, I think a big reason that I wanted to do that is because I knew how much our small community in Fredericton really supported our women's team, especially once we became the only AUS uh, team to be competing. Like our men's team got dropped after my second year. So like we weren't competing against having people come in to watch a men's game anymore. It was just the women's team, which was unfortunate for those guys. Like it was hard for all of us to kind of deal with that sudden change, but it was good in the sense that we were able to capitalize on bringing in more people and like building some deeper relationships with the fan base and stuff like that. Um, But for me, like, doing that community work I I enjoyed it for sure but it was stressful mm-hmm. very stressful so I was like the the president of the student athlete council or whatever the heck it was that anyway some group at school I was in charge of and so I had to come up with like different things for athletes not just women's hockey but different uh teams to get involved with the community because it's really important of course to be giving back to the community that's supporting you and giving you so much especially with some of the programs that we ran at school where you could like adopt a player from a team and then mm-hmm. like they pay a certain amount and, and that kind of stuff right so um yeah I, I organized a bunch of different things and it was definitely rewarding but again I spread myself so thin because I was still having a full full course load doing a double major in political science and environmental studies, which required like just endless essays. So I was constantly like doing all nighters, trying to get these essays done. And then on top of that, practice four days a week, two games, travel, gym, all that fun stuff. Um, For one year, I actually, no, two years, I worked a part-time job. So one year I was a, a TA for uh, uh, quantitative economics, which was uh, pain. Um, mm-hmm. But then I was also like a part-time waitress in another year. Mm-hmm. I wanted to take that onus off my my mom so she wasn't paying so much. And yeah, like it burnt, burnt me to a crisp. Um, and I guess that should also mention like I was kind of stuck or I kept myself stuck in a relationship that wasn't healthy for me either. So I was simultaneously spreading myself thin but also within the context of that relationship keeping myself in a box and feeling trapped Mm -hmm. and that was like just a lot of overwhelming emotions I actually ended up developing uh, a lot of anxiety issues I had to get put on medication because I couldn't get through a day without having like an anxiety attack 
Um, there were days that I was so like low that I couldn't get out of bed. Like I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, like, so like the anxiety and depression definitely hit hard once, uh, especially towards the end of the season. Like once it got time to like playoffs, like my performance took a huge dive. Um, I, I unfortunately fell apart in some pretty critical games and I don't think we even advanced past the first round of playoffs that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was super difficult to cope with. Um, but again, like came back to me putting a lot of that pressure on myself too. Right. When it's the, um, I think what gets missed out on when we're talking about this stuff is the importance of the perspective that you have on doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So for the the high achievers in there that are, that are doing this stuff because they feel like they have to they feel like, well, if I don't do it, I'm not doing enough. The community work, the, you know, getting a job to help your mom pay bills, the like not quitting or not taking a break because, you know, that's just not possible for you. It doesn't come from a healthy place, right? So maybe an outsider would look at that and go, oh, she's so caring. She's so kind. Like, look at her donating her time um, and balancing all this stuff. Like, that's what high performers do. Like, that's just great. Mm -hmm. Okay. All of that is coming from a place where we are trying to fill a hole that will never be filled unless we do that hard work, the mental work to figure out why that hole exists in the first place. Mm -hmm. So as bad as it sounds to say this, I was going to like the, the children's hospital in Madison and, and visiting with these really sick kids and their families. And my motivation for doing it was of course, part of it at least was, um, they need, they need somebody in there to help them feel a little bit better, to give them a unique experience for the day. Um, but the other half of it was, oh, I can convince myself I'm a good person by doing this and that I'm not all about myself and I'm not Mm. struggling with school and this sport that I get to play and struggling on my full scholarship. Um, And the other part of it was like, oh, I get community involvement hours. And if I do a lot of community involvement and get a lot of hours, I get recognized for it. Mm. And it sounds, I'm sure that people are hearing that going like, holy shit, like way to take something that looks really good and make it bad but that's the the honest reaction that I have or that I had to it was because there was a hole of not good enough in me that I was trying to fill with Mm -hmm. these things that my teammates my coaches society in general were telling me made me a good person and made me enough Mm -hmm. oh that's that's literally the same thing for me like it came back to my self-worth and whether I'm not whether or not I felt that I was enough if I was doing enough like but like you said like it's an empty hole you're trying to or an endless hole that you're trying to fill and you just can't until you start to do that deeper work and I mean for me that came to like this year like Mm. I've been operating off those kind of strategies until this, this year when I've been doing the work on, on myself outside of being an athlete and stuff. And, um, you know, it's not that I was doing those things 
for the wrong reasons per se. Like I I genuinely wanted to help other people, especially when I came to like, I organized food drives for the entire city and stuff like that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I knew how much those people needed that and like how lucky I was to to be able to have a roof for my head, have a family who could help me out with that kind of stuff to, to be there on a, a three quarter ride and, and whatnot mm-hmm. and feeling helpless of not being able to do anything. Right. So like, that was kind of how I felt that I was able to, to give back in that sense. Um, but when it came to like the recognition, like I thought that, you know, it would have been a bit more rewarding than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I got recognized in, I don't know if it was like my third or fourth year or whatever, but I got some, um, some school awards at our like athletics banquet for all of the work that I was doing. So it was great of course in the moment to like be recognized for that. Very, very short lived uh, experience. And it does not fill any of the void when it comes to like feeling whether or not you're good enough or, or you're worthy enough um yeah yeah it's an interesting game we play right we think that we're making ourselves feel better we think that you know we're able to convince people that we're good that we've got it all under control and the reality is is the actions that you're taking like when we're doing that kind of stuff stretching ourselves too thin is you're repeatedly telling yourself that you are not valuable enough to take time for you and to pay attention to your own needs. So you're consistently devaluing yourself, which makes those thoughts of I'm not good enough worse. Mm-hmm. And it's such an easy track to go down because we're not taught how to cope with these feelings in school. We are not taught how to value ourselves outside of um, what we do and the stuff that we're able to accomplish. And I feel, especially for, you know, male, male and female athletes for different reasons, male athletes, like they're an athlete and and you often get like the dumb jock, right? Like they're not good at anything else. They're there to play their sport. They're there to entertain people. They're there to bring in money and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then you have it on the female side where like in media, we get, taught what a female athlete should look like right god which is huge huge sticking point it was for me at one point in my life Mm -hmm. um and the other side of it too is like we all recognize that we're probably going to leave our sport behind either to become mothers to take on careers whatever it may be so it's like well i also have to be this i have to be a great student because my career later on depends on it Mm mm-hmm so just like I can't say this enough right it's there is so much below the surface of what you see in Mm. an elite level athlete and as tragic as it is right now we are having more conversations about this than we ever have because we've hit that point where Mm. it is so unhealthy and the pressure is so high that we're seeing some of the most tragic outcomes play out in front of us. Mm -hmm. But we're having the conversations now. I wish that they were, that they happened a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but at least we're here now having the conversations. And we'll continue to have these conversations too. I think it's, mm -hmm. you know, I think maybe in the, the coming weeks, it would be actually really great for each of us to share our, a little bit of our story um, in, in one or a couple episodes or something like that, because um, I think stories hold a lot of power to them. And it really does help people resonate with things that they are, have experienced, are experiencing, or could potentially experience in the future as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you, you can't share your story too much, honestly, because uh, even in the short amount of time that I've shared mine, it's, I've had a lot of people tell me that it's helped them in their own journeys that they've been able to really resonate with that. And I mean, even in us doing this show, I mean, this is what 12th episode, even within the, the span that we've been doing this now, it's only been a couple months having someone reach out because they've recognized like a certain logo from a teams that we played on and say like, Oh, like I saw that, you know, this team was from this area and like, you don't really hear a lot about them. So this is, you know, this is why it resonated with me because it's such a small area and, and it's not talked about so much kind of thing. So yeah, I think uh, moving forward for sure, like having these mental health check-ins, whether this is going to be like a, I don't know, maybe not bi-weekly, like a monthly podcast, like check-in and, and something like that, or if it's going to like jump on an Instagram live or something and just like have a discussion and, and mm -hmm. keep those lines of communication open and help people where we can when we have of course the bandwidth to do it because I know all of us are so busy right now too so yeah yeah absolutely and I think it goes without saying right if you're listening to this and you want to reach out and talk to any of us please feel free mm -hmm. um, we can throw our contact info in the in the description or you can also find all of us at elitehighperformance.com um, but to kind of round things out and end it on a not a brighter note, right? But let's give you some things that you can look to in the future with a little bit of hope. Like Taylor said, the stories that we tell ourselves have so much weight. They are important. And maybe the story you're telling yourself right now isn't a good one. Mm -hmm. But just like you learned to tell yourself that story, you can learn to shift the narrative and start telling yourself a new story about who you want to become not who you are or are not right now, but who you want to become and who you are as a human being, not as who you are in your sport or who you are in the classroom. So it's within your control to start doing that work. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as, you know, asking yourself that first question, like, what are things outside of my sport that I love about myself? How do I show up in situations and and use those things that I love. All right, let's give a couple examples, right, Lauren? What is mm -hmm. something outside of your sport that you love about yourself? I am an extremely empathetic human being. I love that when I have a conversation with somebody, one of the first things that I'm able to pick up is how they're feeling mm -hmm. and understand from my own experience, how that feeling would feel within me. Gives me that like extra layer of connection with people, which is one of my favorite things. Like I love connecting with people. 
So the fact that I have that extra little skill to say or to recognize the subtle things in someone's body language or in the words that they use to say like, oh, maybe, maybe what they're saying and what they're feeling is not aligned here mm -hmm. is, is one of my favorite things about myself. What about you, Taylor? I mean, you took the you took the words right out of my mouth. If I'm being completely honest, I think. Well, uh, we are in the same profession, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people in the coaching profession have the the empathetic skill, and I think you actually need it in order to build the 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 relationship that you want with clients, and not just clients, but just like friends, relationships in general, right? Like it's yeah. it's good to be able to have that skill, so you can pick up on those things and like get a little bit deeper into the pocket and understand, okay, like maybe this needs a little more attention or maybe this is what I can do like as a friend to mm -hmm. be showing up for them to help them out a little bit. And like, that's one of the things that I love is like, I love to listen to what other people have to say. Um, I, I talk probably a little bit more on this podcast than I do <laughs> on a normal day in all honesty. Um, I'm a pretty quiet person most of the time. I'm usually the person that likes to observe and then, okay, kind of understand, analyze things and then add in like my two cents where I feel is necessary. Um, but I loved when like my friends call me now and they'll be like, hey, like this is kind of what's going on and they'll explain the situation to me and I'm able to show up as a friend like a good friend and, and listen and be that kind of support that they need that maybe they don't have in, in other areas of their life so empathy, empathy and, and helping others is definitely like the the top two skills of being a human that I love about myself yeah love that love that and it's also it we're we're talking about it too in the frame of how it serves others but it also serves us right because as we are able to apply empathy to others, we're also able to apply empathy and compassion to ourselves. And that was a huge link that I had to make at one point in my life was I couldn't just keep showing up for other people. Mm -hmm. it's, yes, it's my job. But it's also my job to make sure that, you know, I'm okay, first, mm -hmm. because I am deserving of being okay and being solid. Not just so that I can show up for other people but so that I can be good as a human being. Mm -hmm. Self-compassion is super, super important for yeah. everybody, not just in uh, this line of work, but maybe a bit more, especially in this line of work, because being an empathetic person, you can pick up on other people's energies. And if you're not protecting your own, then it can, it can get a little bit challenging to cope with sometimes too. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good, good note to end on here is just like have those exercises go through a couple of those questions for yourself and start to to figure out who you are as a human being not a human doing not a not an athlete so yeah yeah and resource wise if you are in need of resources we've already mentioned one please find us on our website elitehighperformance.com if you are a current student athlete don't be afraid to go into your school's counseling center and to see if there's anybody available See if you have a sports psychologist on staff. Um, if you don't, go online. Um, BetterHelp is amazing. Talkspace is amazing. There are resources there that can help you. What about and My Huddle? That's another one too. No? My Huddle. Yes, also My Huddle. Um, and last but not least, reach out to your friends. Like if you, if you have a friend who's played your sport that you know maybe they've been through something similar, 
reach out. Don't be afraid to take that first step in helping yourself. Um, because, you know, the first step is always the hardest, right? It becomes a lot easier to put one foot after the other. Once you're on that journey of, of getting yourself into a better mental health space. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, don't, don't be afraid to take the first step. Well, we'll add all of those resources down in the show notes for you guys to access quickly. Thanks for joining in with us, guys, and we'll see you guys in the next one.